You're listening to sermon audio from King's Cross Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. For more information about King's Cross Church, you can visit us online at kingscrossraleigh.com. Sorry, this morning uh, I'm going to be preaching a slightly more thematic uh, sermon than, than usual, but our reading will be from 1 Peter. First uh, Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9, and then... Thirteen through twenty-one. <clears throat> so read that now together. You can follow along on screen. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials, so that the proven character of your faith more valuable than gold, which, though perishable, is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though not seeing him now, you believe in him, and you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy, because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Verse 13 Therefore, with your minds ready for action, be sober-minded and set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance, but as the one who called you is holy, you also are to be holy in all your conduct. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. If you appeal to the Father who judges impartially according to each one's work, you are to conduct yourselves in reverence during your time living as strangers. For you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life, inherited from your ancestors, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of an unblemished and spotless lamb. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for you. Through him, you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. This is God's word. Amen and amen. Would you bow your heads and pray with me before we go any further? Father God, as we exercise even the slightest bit of faith in your word this morning, having given the time out of our day, out of our weekends to be here, having given you our attention and the thoughts of our hearts and the words from our mouths in these last songs we have sung, God, would you please work in us a greater hope, and a growing holiness 
for the glory of your name and the good of your people and this world. Amen. A few years ago, quite a few years ago, uh, I preached a version of this sermon as a part of a a three-part series on uh, what are sometimes called the cardinal virtues of of Christianity, faith, hope, and love. Uh, And uh, so this was was part two. I've reworked it a little bit now this morning to, to stand alone. Um, and, and as I mentioned, this is a little bit more thematic uh, rather than a straight um, exegetical sermon. So we'll make First Peter 1 our, our foundation platform here, uh, but I'll be kind of all over uh, a few other places and, and texts um, this morning. You can feel free to follow along if you want or just stay, uh, stay right here. Uh, but the goal this morning, rather, rather than seeing exactly what one passage has for us, is to see how this grand theme of Christian hope uh, is uh, united with the theme of our salvation and our holiness throughout the scriptures. Uh, and I can't do a comprehensive, complete job of that uh, in, uh, in this time, um, but, uh, but that's, that's kind of the goal today is to unite in our minds throughout a, a number of, of scriptures uh, how God weaves these themes together, and then we will uh, we will explore at the end a few ways that uh, that we might uh, take that idea uh, of the connection of these things out in our daily lives. So there are ways in which we use uh, faith and and hope. Uh, we might also say trust almost interchangeably. They are very much related. Um, I put my faith in God. I put my hope in God. I put my trust in God or uh, whatnot. But there's also uh, certainly some, some distinction there. And as I was studying both years ago, I was particularly struck by this for the first time, but then reminded afresh as I was studying this week. Uh, and it was, it was really, uh, really refreshing, really sweet, even this week, again, looking at this, that the way that the scripture uses the idea of our hope uh, really is unique and is, is distinct from the way that it uses faith. Now, it is a kind of fa- hope is a kind of faith, uh, and faith requires hope, demands hope from us, and you can't really have one without the other, uh, but they, they can uh, stand apart. So, as I began to look closely at this, I saw that, that when Scripture speaks of our hope, often in the context of the Scripture passage right there, we see a call to holiness. We see a call to sanctification. And that intrigued me at first as I was studying it. And so I hope to, to pass on, not, not just, but partly, yes, I do hope to pass on that, that intrigue, that interest in God's Word this morning. Uh, that it would drive you to, to maybe study this out more or to, to explore other connections and passages that you might see as you read. Uh, I don't know if maybe you've made a goal of following a Bible reading plan this year. It's the beginning of the year now, right? Uh, and so maybe as you do that, keep a journal of some connections and themes that you find. Uh, leave some time in, your, in your, uh, your Bible reading plan to go ahead and chase those rabbit trails and do some study of things that interest you. God's word is a rich uh, treasure trove and a mine that can't be uh, found, the, the depths of which can't be plumbed all the way. Uh, we can spend our whole lives uh, studying and being astounded by the beauty that's there. But tonight, today, uh, we want to we probe at least a little bit the, the unmistakable connection between hope and holiness in the scriptures. 
So the big idea this morning, uh, kind of summary there, is that Christian hope is the thread that unites our faith for the future with purpose for our present. Christian hope is the thread that unites our faith for the future. God has revealed certain things and promised certain things to us about what's to come. He's given us something to hope for, to look forward to, but that hope unites that faith and trust in the future that God has revealed to us with a purpose, with action points, with, with something to do with that today. Hope invigorates us to do hard things. You could probably think of some great, uh, great story or movie, whether it's based on a true story or is a real story or, or otherwise, uh, that, that tells this. Perhaps more poignantly, it might be the fact that the stories are often those where hope has been lost. And that leads us to despair and, and stagnancy and often to great tragedy. A, lock, a, a loss or lack of hope can make doing even the simplest, most natural and mundane things seem impossible and difficult. Maybe it's the hope that, that we know that whatever struggle we're in right now won't last very long, so, so we can make it and we press on. Maybe it's the hope that we know it will be worth it in the end, whatever it is we're going through right now, so we press on. Our future glorious hope in Christ is, uh, is inextricably tied to our current growth in holiness. And so Christian hope requires and equips us to do what is impossible, and that is to live holy lives in a present evil and broken world. So let's dive into this. Uh, our outline, I've kind of set it up uh, in, in themes, again, rather than kind of verses or paragraphs. We'll look at our hope completed. You might call it the object of our hope. What is it that we are hoping in and looking forward to? Then our hope secured. Why is it that we can have a confident hope? We often hear uh, in, in church speak that Christian hope is not like other hope or worldly hope, like I hope it doesn't rain next weekend when I've got plans or something. We have a confident hope. That's what scripture means when it talks about hope. And so our hope secured, grounded, firm, established, trustworthy. And then we have a, a pivot in the middle where, where we'll take these theological ideas of our, the object and the, the completion and the goal of our hope in the future, and then our confidence in our hope now, we'll ask a, a question of ourselves uh, as we kind of pivot towards a personal application there. Is our hope something that's kind of deferred? And then really the meat of this will be point three, our hope applied. We'll spend some time there before looking at hope displayed and then uh, spend some considerable time asking what this means for each of us. So let's look at what the, what the scripture has to say, how it weds the hope that we must cling to with the holiness that we must pursue. Hope completed. Often uh, we talk about uh, the, the holiness and our, our uh, hope for the future in terms of our glorification. The scripture, the theological pastory word for that is glorification. We will one day be glorified. We will be made to be like Christ. And so you can look at the, the text there in verse 13. 
of 1 Peter 1, 1 Peter 1, 13, the second part of that says, set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And what is that? You can see as well in verse 4 there that this is an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, and kept or guarded in heaven for you. You know, a number of years ago, there was a big economic collapse, and many people lost what they thought to be uh, secure, safe life savings. And a, a generation or so uh, uh, ahead of, of me, and my grandmother was, was hit with this pretty hard. And those things that we think are rock solid, safe, and secure, sometimes even those most trustworthy things really aren't. Look at that description in verse 4 again. We have been, verse, from verse 3, we've been given a new birth into a living hope and, verse 4, into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, and kept in heaven for you, believer. There is nothing that can, that can shake or change the glory, the security of this, this hope. But, but what is that? It is... <clears throat> it is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The revelation of Jesus Christ. That was verse 13 again. You know, it's, I saw a few, I'm sure many of you did as well. We could swap stories of these after the service, perhaps. I saw a funny New Year's meme yesterday. Uh, it showed a, a New Year's party scene, uh, but the picture was focused on a guy who looked like he was bored out of his mind in this like celebratory confetti, like silly hat, goggle, blowy kazoo things, whatever those are called, right? And this one guy's just sitting there bored out of his mind and the caption read, me on New Year's Eve, cause I know nothing magically really changes at midnight. <laughs> right. Um, or uh, another one uh, Laura showed me just this morning, uh, a guy, it's just a single, single guy who's like exasperated he says, me, when I realize that 2022 is just 2022, T-O-O, like also or again, right? <clears throat> but our hope is in something much greater than like the turn of a calendar and like, again, hope it doesn't rain next weekend. I hope this year is better than the last one or the last two or, or whatever, right? Or maybe some of us have had great years and, and maybe I hope for that to continue or whatever. We have something far greater than that. We have the hope of heaven being brought to earth. The revelation of Jesus Christ, it says. Jesus, the God-man that we just celebrated at Christmas, that, that came down to live as a human being on this earth and then ascended to heaven and lives right now, as we declared in, in the creed, is seated at the right hand of the Father and will return again. And he is, he declares, making all things new. Our, our hope completed looks beautiful. It looks, like, it looks like perfection. It looks like utopia. It looks like all the things that we can dream about as wonderful and fulfilling and happy and beautiful. It looks like what we might imagine a perfect God creating when he makes perfection reality. That's what our hope 
is ultimately in the future. That is what we long for. That's what we look forward to. That's what God, who cannot lie, has promised. So let me challenge you. Don't shortchange the hope that you have in Christ. Don't shortchange your picture of heaven to, to some small, like, fix this problem or fix that problem or, or make things, even, even don't stop just at make things right in the world. It's how good could it get and it's better. Let your mad imagination, let your mind go there often. So, so many I'm just thinking of this now, and I didn't, I didn't get a quote written down there, but there's, there's wonderful quotes about the, the medicinal, remed, remedial uh, value of contemplating and thinking and meditating about heaven. It's a beautiful and wonderful thing, and we can't scratch the surface of how great it will be. This is our hope completed, and this is universal, worldwide, all-encompassing. But it's also deeply personal. And that personal hope that we have, we might see in a verse like 1 John 3, verse 2. Again, one of these examples, you don't need to go there, I will. But in 1 John 2, uh, sorry, 1 John 3, we read, See what great love the Father has given us, that we should be called God's children. We are. The reason the world does not know us is that it didn't know Him. Dear friends, We are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet been revealed to us, but we know that when he appears, we will be like him, because we will see him as he is. The future glorification, the object of our hope is that we will see God, and we will be with him forever, and we will be made like him. Not that we will become gods, but our perfect relationship that God created us to have will be restored and made sweetly perfect. I don't know if any of you have ever had the experience of trying to create something and the thing not quite measuring up to the image that you had in your head and the frustration of that. For me, that's like all the time because I dream big and can't get there, not that creative, right? But this will, this will overachieve our greatest imagination. This is our hope. And scripture calls that glory, glorification. Our bodies will be restored. We'll be given new spiritual bodies that can withstand the presence of God Almighty forever. Read, we'll get there later, we'll we'll read Revelation and the picture that it gives us of heaven where God wipes away every stain and every tear. There will be no more sorrow, no more sickness, no more tears, no more death, no more pain, no more hurt, no more disappointment, no more failure, no more sin. Our future is glorious. And point two, this is something that we can get excited about rather than just dream about, like a pie-in-the-sky dream or some utopian as opposed to like dystopian, which is all the fad now in movies, right? This is something more than just a utopian dream. In fact, our hope has been secured. And that's point two, as we see 
in 1 Peter as well as elsewhere, we can look at verse 3 again. Blessed be the Father, uh, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And then skip ahead to verses 18 and 19, where we read that we were redeemed from our empty way of life, inherited from our ancestors when we were born into sin, depraved and broken, born into a sinful, depraved and broken world. We've been redeemed, bought back into what God made it to be like, redeemed from this. But how? How were we bought back? How did God accomplish this? Not with perishable things like silver or gold, like some people can buy a happy life now. Some people can erase the the sorrows and challenges and struggles of the world with power or money or whatever. That's not how we were called out of that. Instead, we were redeemed from that, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but verse 19, with the precious blood of Christ, God's son, like that of an unblemished and spotless lamb. Now that too an ancient first century uh, reader would have called to mind huge images of sacrifice where they slaughtered animals to please the gods. But the picture here of an unblemished and spotless lamb is the lamb of God, the last lamb, the final sacrifice who was perfectly pleasing to God. This is what has purchased and secured as the down payment our glory and our hope that we just discussed. The down payment then becomes the spirit that indwells us. God and Christ sends his spirit to us. We reflected on these words over the Christmas series when we recited the Nicene Creed together. That The Holy Spirit came from the Father and the Son together and lives in us as as a part of the experience of knowing God. The believer gets his spirit within us so that we can, in fact, begin to dream God's dreams, think God's thoughts, live in a way that is pleasing to God, understand his word when he reveals to us what he has written for us in the scriptures. Our hope has been secured. <clears throat> we could look also again at that, uh, that verse that we read earlier in Titus chapter two. This passage is uh, so closely parallels uh, some of our themes uh, from First Peter, and we'll return here often, but Titus chapter two, verse 11 says that the grace of God has appeared. And what has it done? It has brought salvation for all people. This is something that's finished and done and settled. This is what we look back to every single week when we remember that Jesus came. He was born as a human being, the God-man, 
uniting deity with humanity to restore and redeem and correct and recreate what God has intended all along. And it's done. And Jesus himself said it as he neared the completion of his mission and hung on a cross. What did he say? He said, it is finished. There's no more work to be done. He did it all. And so from the confidence that we have in, in the scripture, in the God-man Jesus Christ, the rest of Revelation, the rest of all scripture stems from this. This is your hope. It's put forward to all people. This is the good news that, of great joy that will be for all people that the angels sang about. This is the gospel, that word means good news. This is the thing to, to hope for and long for and receive with joy. This is the answer to the problems and dilemmas and grief and brokenness and sadness and sin in the world and in our own hearts. This is our hope. It is glorious. And the Bible calls our secured hope our justification. And so that great book of Romans, <clears throat> excuse me, that great book of Romans, in particularly in, in chapters four and five, goes through this progression that says that we who believe and trust in God's word about Christ, we say that we are sinners and we need him. We are a part of the brokenness that needs an answer. And we believe that Jesus is the final and perfect answer for that. And trusting in him, we have been justified. It's a, it's a legal word where God assesses, God, the creator and king of the universe, evaluates and assesses us. And one day, Jesus as king will do this in the end. And the scriptures say he will judge and he will say guilty and not guilty. And he will say, away with you to condemnation and judgment. And to you who are mine, welcome. Come into the joy of heaven. Enter into the joy and rest of your master. The justification that Jesus bought with his blood is when God looks at us and accepts us. You know, we are uh, a, a little bit already this morning has been talked about how this even service has been a little haywire from, from the start. There's people filling in for people that were filling in, and that happened like last night and this morning. I don't know if you've been ever put in a situation like that, and some people thrive being put on the spot and other people panic, but uh, not that it was a last-minute plan B for God. This was the plan for all of eternity, but Jesus filled in for us. <laughs> if you will. Jesus became man, and he did it perfectly. Not, that, not, not for an hour-long service, but for a 30-some-odd-year life. He did it perfectly. Not a misstep. Not a poor decision. Not a disgusted thought. Not a single sharp word perfectly he filled in for us and when God looks at those who trust in Christ that is what he says we are Christ has secured our hope he has justified us so that God says you are not guilty 
You have the perfect righteousness of Christ because he took your sin and he paid that debt on the cross. And God was pleased to raise him from the dead and call him home again to heaven as a hint for what is to come for us. We too, who were dead in our trespasses and sins, have been raised to life again with Christ. And we have the hope, the confident hope that we are now alive with Christ, seated with him in the heavens, even while we are seated here and have hopefully years left of life for all of us. We are, we have life in his name now in heaven. It is secured because we have been justified by faith in Christ. It is finished. But the question then comes, what, what now? Because that is a future thing that we're looking forward to, but, but we aren't there yet. And sometimes that's all too obvious. You know, our, our hope was won by Christ in history. That is historical fact. Even his, his resurrection can be testified to by, by witnesses better than any other uh, trustworthy text that we call reliable. The first two points of our hope completed and our hope secured do much to bolster our confidence and perhaps even our joy in hope. But for now, we live somewhere in between that glorious future of our glorification and the recreation to perfection of all things and the confidence that that's, that's certain, but we're somewhere in between, somewhere in the middle. So for now, right, that's where we have this word hope, right? It's this, this comfort to get us through the hard times, right? It's, uh, it's the pleasant reminder that it's all going to work out in the end. Jesus wins, right? That's it? Is it a positive thought that serves as a a pick-me-up, a shot of adrenaline or caffeine when we need it? Is that it? No. No, it, w- it was purchased for us back then. It's coming to us sometime in the future, and, and now we, we wait? No. So this is, this is that pivot point. Is our hope deferred? Is it on layaway? Je- we said Jesus purchased it with his blood. Is it on layaway, and we're waiting for it to? No. No, so Christian believer, if you have trusted in Christ, this is the connection that I'm hoping to, to make now, today. When the scriptures speak of your hope, it means you've got work to do. It means there's implications right now. Our hope is not deferred. It has been purchased, and it has been given to you. It's not back on some shelf or sitting in some safe in heaven. It's yours. So what are we to do with that? What are we to do with that? Well, we can see that right now our hope is alive. Again, 1 Peter <clears throat> uh, chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. We've read it once, but I'll read it again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth, new life, into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. Verse 5, you are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Yes, there is a future orientation and a future aspect to this. It's not, it's not all done here, but it's as good as done here, and we've got part of it, and we've got work to do to get there. 
So this is the connection between our, our hope that we have and our holiness. Let's, let's unpack that a little bit. Our hope applied. In theological terms, this is our sanctification. The Bible speaks uh, over and over again of, of the work that we have to do to grow in holiness, to grow in godliness, to become more like Christ. And this is often called our, our sanctification. In fact, we've just uh, studied this a little bit in Philippians. <clears throat> in Philippians uh, chapter 2, we are told that God has worked salvation into us in Christ, right after the beautiful Christ hymn of Philippians 2. God has worked into us a salvation by Christ and then also expects us to work out our salvation, trusting in him. There's a, there's a cooperation here that we have with the work that God has done and the confidence that God is powerful enough to complete the work, but expects us to join with him in doing that. It's like this idea of, uh, uh, as silly as it may sound, right? Uh, imagine if you were tasked with, with an impossible task. You've got to pull a freight train up a mountain, okay? So you tie the rope up there, you lug it over your shoulders, and you start to pull. Are you going to succeed at that? Not at all. But what if the engineer kicks it into gear a little bit, and that train starts crawling? What if you don't move? Well, you're going to get run over. It's going gonna, it's gonna to move. That's, that's not cooperating, and this is not the, like, God's going to run you over thing, but there's holes in every illustration. But if you keep on pulling, and you keep that rope tight, and you keep doing what you're told to do and working, there's cooperation, and what happens? There's mutual progress. And this is the work that we have to do in obeying God and doing what he's told us to do and growing in holiness and working out our salvation with real work. It's hard, but not that it depends on us because we're never going to pull that train up the mountain ourselves. There's cooperation there. There's beauty there as to switch illustrations, as God our Father condescends, comes down to our level, like the father who lets a kid win at, his game, at a game they're playing together. And what happens in that instance? The kid learns something about strategy, about how to, how to play, about a relationship, and it strengthens that bond and the joy. Like that, we get to, to unite in relationship with God and follow his rules and cooperate with him and make progress together into our hope. And more and more we see it blossom in front of us. And more and more we see it blossom within us. And we give God the praise and glory for that. It's like uh, maybe another illustration would, would be helpful. Imagine a, a horrific uh, plane crash at sea and the survivors are in the, the lifeboats and the life rafts and you know, rea reality check, some people are, are more uh, kind of fit for that kind of uh, situation than others and, and some people will handle that better than others and some kind of panic, uh, some go into despair, uh, but others recognize that, hey, if we don't do anything, we're definitely going to die. We've got to do something here right? And so they have a hope that rescue is coming. And that doesn't mean that they sit back, cross their arms, and say, well, I guess I'll just see if I can get a good tan before we get rescued. No, it means there's work to do. 
means I gotta, I gotta stay alive until it comes. I've gotta do my part so that when that rescue helicopter comes, I'm strong enough to, to climb, to help, to hang on. I've gotta do my part. There's work to be done. So hope and inaction are incompatible. Hope means, as we said at the outset, hope invigorates us to do hard things. And that's no different in the world, in a rescue survival situation than it is in our spiritual life and in our faith. So the way we think and live in regards to our hope is often incompatible, though, with real life experience. Why is it, if that's the case, that, that hope equips us and invigorates us to do hard things? Why is it that in our faith, sometimes we think of our hope in heaven and our hope in Jesus, and we think that that's an excuse to do nothing or to do things our way? You see the, the lunacy, the, the foolishness, the incompatibility of that? Our hope in heaven, our hope in Christ, our hope in the gospel, our hope in God ought to compel us to do things his way, to pursue that end that he has pointed us on, to, to work hard on that trajectory. We're fools if we think that we have hope for salvation while living like the damned. Jesus, in that judgment that I referenced before, said that many on that day will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? But to these he will say, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Hope demands that we pursue a relationship with the God who gives us that hope. We just finished Christmas. What would it be like to to love and cherish a gift, but spurn the one who gave it to you. This is the God who has given us the hope of heaven. He expects a relationship to his people who lay claim on that hope. So what does that look like? It looks like prioritizing time with him. Looks like spending time in his word. Looks like praying. Looks like regularly remembering that he's an active participant in life. Looks like examining our hearts like we'll do in a moment when we come to the Lord's table to see and asking him to help to see if there's any sin in our hearts that we're maybe even blind to and cooperating with him to fight against that sin that we might grow in holiness and be more pleasing to him and be more fit for heaven when he comes. 1 John would, would now speak to us. <clears throat> 1 John 1 is a well-known passage to many. It says that this is the message that we have heard and declare to you. God is light, and there is absolutely no darkness in him. If we say we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we are lying and not practicing the truth. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make God a liar and his word is not in us. Again, Romans is clear that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We do not match up with that hope for heaven that we, we picture. 
We are not fit for heaven. We need the God of heaven to clothe us to be fit for heaven. And he has done that in Christ. He clothes us with Christ's righteousness. And then he says, walk in the new life that I've given you. Be consistent with that. Don't be hypocritical. Be consistent with that. What about, a, what about false hope? We typically use this phrase uh, to talk about misplaced trust or misplaced hope, but there's a slightly different angle on this point. There's a kind of hope that is rightly placed but abused. This is another kind of false hope. And ultimately here, this is that hypocritical hope. This is the hope that says there are well-trained, competent lifeguards here on duty for a reason, right? It's their job to, to keep me safe, to rescue me, so I won't concern myself with safety. I don't need to be responsible. That's foolish. This is false and delusional hope that says, I'm sure the search and rescue plane is already out to find us. I'm going to lay back here and take this sea cruise on the little inflatable raft instead of the big boat or the plane trip that I was planning on, right? That's foolhardy. And so this is a, a false hope. Instead, a true and mature and responsible, meaningful, effective hope says, I'm sure the search and rescue plane is already out to find us. I wonder if there's a, a flare gun or a mirror on this raft. I wonder if there's some emergency food storage here. I wonder if some people around me need encouragement, need help. Is anyone hurt? Anyone injured? Is there anything I can do to help this situation get better? This is effective hope. This is a hope that has grasped a person's heart and made a difference in their life and says, we're going to get through this. Let's do something about it. I'd like to read a few, uh, few verses from a song that I heard this week. wasn't actively prepping for the sermon, but I heard the song and I went, wow, that's great. It goes like this. It says, oh, there's a day that is coming when everything will be new. God will dry every tear and everything sad will be made untrue. It's going to be a celebration all of creation longs for. And while we're waiting for that day to come, we've got a little more time to love. There are little ones hungry for the love of a family. So many hungry for bread. On the left and the right, surrounded by the last and the least. And just down the street, or just across the table, hungry hearts are waiting to be fed. Because deep in our soul, we're all longing to be at the feast, and that's capitalized. That future hope that we have of joining at God's table. But until we sit down where there's more than enough, let us give as we've been given, and love as we've been loved. Oh, there's a day that is coming when all the last will be first. Every orphan will be home and all, who will, be, and all will be filled who hunger and thirst. Oh, it's going to be a celebration all of creation longs for. And while we're waiting for that day to come, we've got a little more time to do justly, to love mercy, and to show the love we've been shown. For we can only be the hands and feet of Jesus till he leads us home. He will lead us home. That's the heart of this message. We have a confident hope that we are homebound, but we've got a mission along the way. Church, we're the body of Christ. 
Each of us is a member of that body, a part that has a role to play, a task to do, a job to do. Friends, play it well. Your hope is tied to your growth in holiness, your acting like Christ, your obedience, your faithfulness to the call that he's placed on your life. Real hope, confident hope, fuels responsible action. So finally, point four, hope displayed. Of course, this is where we turn again to look at Christ, the embodiment of hope. But the point here is we've kind of already covered that in in talking about our hope secured and what he did to, to purchase that for us. But our hope displayed is to consider that when Jesus became a man, the same responsibility that we've just talked about fell on his shoulders too. And he did it. He did it perfectly. There's a passage in, in Hebrews, wrong way, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, which illustrates this very nicely. When Jesus came, he too had a mission, and he too had temptation, and he too had to trust and obey God. In Hebrews chapter 12, Beginning in verse 1, but our point is in verse 2, he says, Therefore, since we have such a, loud, a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every burden, every hindrance, and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us. Verse 2, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross. Hope equips and inspires and enables us to do hard things. Jesus looked past the cross, the most horrific thing imaginable. Still to this day, one of the most brutal deaths conceived of. Placed upon the only perfect being to ever exist who never knew pain or sorrow prior to taking on human flesh. And instead of his perfectly navigating that life in human flesh, instead of reaping a just reward, he went to a cross and was murdered for it. But he did that, according to Hebrews 12, 2, for the joy set before him. Christ had hope. And it led him to immensely powerful action. In securing our hope, in fulfilling and completing our hope, in becoming the object of our hope, Jesus himself also modeled and embodied and displayed hope in action for us. Trusting in God. So as we conclude, let's consider what this might mean for us. So we might ask, okay, so what? Again, it's been a, a, maybe a different sermon bouncing around a little bit. So what? A few bullet points there. First, cultivate a deep desire for heaven and for holiness. Both are necessary. They go hand in hand. Some here may have never truly trusted in Christ, but maybe you sense him pulling on your heart and soul right now. 
accept him. Confess your sin to Jesus, your faith in what he did to save you. Others may have done this before, but like the parable of the soils in Mark 4, the distress or persecution or the worries of this age or the deceitfulness of wealth, the desires for things may have choked out the beauty and the power of your hope in God's promises so that it isn't making a difference in your life and it isn't producing fruit. Repent. Run to Christ. Abide in him so that you can see the effects of faith in your life now and forever. Still, others of us may be experiencing a vibrant, healthy spiritual life right now. Thank God for that. Let that fuel you. If you've got the the joy and the energy, let it overflow to be an encouragement to others, both of the family of faith and those apart from it. Secondly, again, I, I mentioned it. This isn't primary, but look for these themes and connections in your Bible reading, hope and holiness, and others, but, but look for these. We've barely scratched the surface of this. Look for these connections. May that drive your, your love for God's word and its depth and richness and beauty. Thirdly, though, add these emphases to your prayer life. Maybe you're feeling like the author of Lamentations, the passage that we read together earlier in the service. Despair, depression, no hope at all. Friend, if that's where you are, then this is good news for you today. The world is broken, yes. There is real pain and sorrow here, but there's an explanation for that. Not only is there an explanation for it, there's a season for it. And spring is coming. Jesus has said an end with that brokenness, and I am recreating and restoring and making all things new and glorious again. That's hope to hold on to in a dark day. Even when it's near impossible to see that, hold on to that hope. Let it carry you through. Because Lamentations itself, which says, all my hope was gone, I had despaired. Ultimately, it gets to, because of the Lord's faithfulness, we do not perish. His mercies never end. They are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. Put my hope in him. There's countless psalms that follow the same path of honest despair leading to worship and trust in God. Or maybe you are loving life right now. Praise God for that. He made the world good and beautiful and fulfilling, and while it is broken, all is not lost, even now. But be warned, this isn't it. Don't get complacent or even content with the joys of this life. Don't uh, think that you've reached the finish line yet. The kingdom isn't yet here. It's going to be even better. Don't get too comfortable here and now. Don't get entitled. Don't put your hope in the things of this world. It gets better, far better. Jesus says, Store your treasure in heaven, where moth and rust and economies and governments cannot collapse or steal or destroy or kill. Give gratitude to God and store your treasure in heaven. Thirdly, or fourthly, I guess, remember the gospel. God is holy, we are not. And yet in Christ, we've been loved and welcomed 
and made children of God, fit for heaven. Ultimately, our hope is in the person of God. It's not the streets of gold. It's being with our creator, our father. Being present with the God of the universe is the most fulfilling thing, and that is what we were made for. And finally, before concluding, a few deeper thoughts if you want to take action and do something with this. Just a few thoughts. You could meditate on Lamentations 3. It's a long chapter, but it's rich. It's full. Read the chapter a few times slowly. Consider how it's magnified and fulfilled in Jesus and the gospel. That's a fascinating one right there. Pray it for yourself or pray it for someone else. Another idea would be to to memorize God's word in some of these passages. Memorize a section of Lamentations 3. Memorize the the passage we read after it. It would be an awesome, a perfect one, Titus 2, 11 to 14. Memorize that. Memorize part of 1 Peter 1 or Hebrews 10. There's a passage there that's a good idea as well. Or read and study some other passages that might relate to this. Ephesians Chapter 5, verses 25 and 27 is typically about the relationship between a husband and a wife, but Paul says it's about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Read and study that and think about how Jesus purifying us relates to this hope and holiness in our salvation theme. There's other passages there to consider. I mentioned Revelation. Read Revelation 4 through 5 and 19 through 22 to, to give your heart a hunger for the beauty and longing for heaven. And that glorious picture there. So as we conclude, I do want to read those passages of Lamentations and and Titus together one more time. Lamentations says, I have been deprived of peace. I have forgotten what prosperity is. Then I thought, my future is lost as well as my hope from the Lord. Remember my affliction and my homelessness, the wormwood and the poison. I continually remember them and have been depressed. Yet I call this to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's faithful love, we do not perish. For his mercies never end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will put my hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the person who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation from the Lord. And Titus 2, 11 to 14, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing that salvation to all people, instructing us to deny godlessness and worldly lusts and to live a sensible, righteous, and godly way in the present age while we wait for the blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to cleanse for himself a people for his own possession, eager to do good works. Friends, what will you do with your hope? Let's pray. Ah, Lord God, what you have promised us and given us a glimpse of now you will one day deliver in full. When you promise great things for the future, you give us reason to trust in you now. So God, thank you for your grace, for the gift of salvation and forgiveness abundant in Christ. 
Help us to eagerly yearn for that day when we get to see him, to be with him in a restored, perfect world. God, may we long for that day more than any other desire. Keep us from growing comfortable or complacent in this life. Move us to do good so that we would prove ourselves to be your children and so that we might prove you, O oh Father, to be so, so good. We pray this in the precious and powerful name of Jesus Christ, the perfecter of our faith. Amen.